Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Chelsea stumble at West Ham, the Ragnick revolution begins at Old Trafford, Newcastle finally win and VAR nonsense is back on the menu. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Alex Mott. Hello. So we got a question from a listener to begin with this week. It comes from Carlos Lopez on the emails and he says, as a Chelsea supporter, I was hoping Kai Havertz and Timo Werner would hit the ground running this season, but so far that hasn't quite happened yet. Aside from the physicality, why do you think it's tough for some players to transition to English football and in particular the Premier League? Any thoughts on that, Alex? Is it just the physicality of the league that's difficult for these? Um, well, I think, I don't know. They're quite two specific examples, aren't they? And then with Werner, I mean, although he was relatively poor last season I wouldn't say it was absolutely awful and I think at any other probably any other big team in Europe he gets another season and he probably does alright this year but because Chelsea are who, are who they are they spend 90 million on Lukaku and now he's second choice and hardly gets it. <laughs> yeah. so I don't know I think they're two quite specific examples really but I'd, I could see someone like Werner I think he'd be brilliant at like a Barcelona or somewhere I still think he's a brilliant striker it's just yeah, it just hasn't really worked out at Chelsea, has it, for him? Not yet, not yet. You never know. He might uh, have a bit yet, of a... Yeah. yeah. Well, but any, idea, any ideas on that, Matt? Is, is the pace of the Premier League significantly different to other leagues in, around the world, would you say? Well, I saw, was it um, today or yesterday, Raphael Varane talking about it and, you know, saying that it takes a, a bit of time to adapting to. So if one of the best defenders in recent history is saying it's difficult, yeah. then um, it must actually be difficult for most players. I, I would agree with Alex as well, though. Like, if... If you struggle to adapt to the Premier League and you're on the bench after signing for, no disrespect, uh, Palace or Norwich, no one's really talking about it. Yeah. If you, you know, if, I mean, what's his name? Josh Sargent at Norwich. (laughs) He's had an absolute shocking first three or four months. Um, You don't really see that in the headlines because he signed on the free from, you know, I think Bremen in the the second season who were relegated. So, yeah, I think that one is quite specific to Havertz and Werner I guess the bigger names and the bigger money you expect more um, but there are a lot of players who go through that it's just they're maybe not as in the uh, in the headlines as much well there's all these cliches isn't it that goes around there's obviously the, the big one the uh, can he do it on a wet Wednesday in Stoke uh, <laughs> proven Premier League quality is one that's always come up over the years isn't it that's something that seems to be a, a very like desirable uh, skill to have oh has, has he got proven yeah. Premier League quality though oh yeah we've got to sign this guy he's got proven Premier League quality and uh, there was a story actually doing the rounds when Jaden Sancho made his debut for United earlier in the season that he was like in the dressing room afterwards, like, I can't believe how fast it is out there. Like, it's, it's just not, <laughs> I'm not used to it. So I do wonder if it is significantly different. But yeah, interesting yeah, question, yeah, Carlos. Uh, reminder that if you want to get a question to, into us, you can do so by emailing us on podcast at wolffootball.com. And we're always very happy to hear from our listeners. So please do get in touch. Uh, on to the, uh, the main business today. And we'll begin at the London Stadium where West Ham beat Chelsea 3 2 in uh, the District Line Derby, I believe they call it. <laughs> <laughs> one That's of amazing. one of London's lesser derbies, but a derby nonetheless. <laughs> uh, watching Chelsea lately, Alex, I'm, I'm getting the sense that maybe they're they're slightly a level below City, and Liverpool. Perhaps they won't have the staying power for the title race. I mean, I didn't think that early in the season. I thought they were going to be, you know, favourites for the league. But do, do you get that sense watching them at the moment? Um, yeah, probably. I wouldn't totally rule them out at the moment, but I think I thought they were lucky. At Watford in mid midweek, um, I thought Watford probably could have got a draw there. I thought they probably they lost points at Man United. You know they probably should have won that as well as a mistake from Jorginho for this for the Sancho goal. 
And then, yeah, I thought West Ham at the weekend, especially the last 30 minutes, I thought they were really poor and deserved to win. Uh, sorry, deserved to lose. Mm. I mean, I mean, obviously they weren't helped really by the goalkeeper, but I thought Jorginho was miles off it in the first half. I thought Declan Rice was amazing. Both full-backs didn't really look their usual selves. We got, had, a, had a lot of trouble against Bowen and um, Antonio. And I thought Lukaku looked really poor when he came on as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of sort of negatives from that performance and has been for the past two weeks and obviously you can't really say that about City and Liverpool but I wouldn't totally rule them out but yeah I would I do I think they'll be sort of they'll definitely be in the top three but yeah they do look a level below City and Liverpool at the moment Yeah there's just been so much rotation with Chelsea haven't they this season that they've yeah. never really got a got a sort of solid starting lineup going uh, oh. for, due to injuries or what have you uh, there was also a stat doing the rounds at the weekend match showing that Chelsea's attacking output is actually lower this season than it was at the state this stage of Frank Lampard's two seasons in charge we're talking about XG and stuff here I don't know the exact numbers mm. but uh, do you think that they are have become a little sort of too over-reliant on the defence under Thomas Tuchel are they at a stage where if they do concede a couple of dodgy goals like that then they're, they're putting themselves in a lot of trouble yeah, I think so. Like you mentioned, with so much changing in the team, how are they going to get any consistency out front? I think Liverpool have three phenomenal attackers. And when when Jota, or he has done more often than not this season, comes in for Firmino, they're really consistent. And I think it's because they play so much football together. And the same thing can be said of Manchester City's attacking line, that although the players change quite a bit, they're all fitting into the same mode and the same role. Um Whereas, yeah, when you, when you look at Chelsea, I mean, swapping a deep, deep uh, false nine in Havertz for a striker like Lukaku changes the way they attack in such a mm. massive way mm. um, when, when you're playing into these guys that, yeah, maybe they are a little bit too reliant because we have to score goals to win games. you know. And I think this is actually quite a freak performance from Mendy. I think generally he's been pretty good um, and the stats and the clean sheet show that. So I'm not saying he's due an off day. But days like this can happen. It's kind of, you know, it's days like that where you need need to really rely on the fact that you're going to have people at the other end of the pitch doing the business. Because, yeah, I, I, I feel like when they come up against more consistent teams like Manchester City and Liverpool who aren't going to really fall to these, these sort of fixtures too frequently, they may find themselves probably in third as the third best team in the country. Yeah, the margins are just going to be so fine this season, it feels like, doesn't yeah. it? It could go down to something like like goal difference. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Edward mm. Mendy was at fault for West Ham's equaliser for that, that foul for the penalty. How much do you blame him for that third goal though, Alex? Do you think he could have done much about that or was he just deceived by the, the deflection a bit? Um... I'm in the Christmassy spirit, so I think I'm <laughs> going to give him a bit of a pass for that third goal. To be honest, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anyone was really expecting the ball to go there. It obviously takes a deflection. The flight of the ball just sort of bemused him a little bit. So I don't know. I think he, he obviously did well to get a hand to it, but yeah, I think that's a slightly harsh one to blame for the third goal. And it's the penalty that I, yeah, like you said, the equaliser that I blame him more for. I know it was a bad back pass from Jorginho, but. Yeah, it was a really bad touch, and then to sort of let uh, Bowen get in front of you like that, I thought, I thought that was poor. So yeah, he had, yeah. he had a bit of an off day. Like Matt said, he saved them on plenty of occasions at the end of last season, the start of this season. Thinking of that Brentford game when they won one there, he was exceptional mm-hmm. that day. So yeah, I think um, I saw some people on Twitter on Saturday night calling for Kepa to be reinstated. I'm not sure <laughs> how long with that, but um, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, he had a bit of an off day, but yeah, I wouldn't blame him for that third goal. Well, they've missed the chance to bring back Willie Caballero now because he's. <laughs> 
Southampton, hasn't it? Forty-year-old Willie Caballero still <laughs> yeah. doing the business. <laughs> uh, great win for West Ham. Um, one of many great wins for them for them lately. Uh, they've now beaten three of last season's top five at home this season, scoring ten goals in the process. I mean, I didn't expect the London Stadium to ever become a fortress. Did you, Matt? I always thought that was going to be a place where they would they would never sort of feel like home to them. Yeah, absolutely. I did not expect it to become a fortress. And now you're thinking one of the more difficult stadiums to go to for any away side. Um, weirdly enough, though, they, they've they done very well against, uh, uh, as, like you said, three against uh, last season's top five. Mm. Um, but then they sometimes struggle against some of the poorer sides at home, which I think is a bit odd. Um, there must be something about the big games that they feel a lot more comfortable in, um, especially at home. Yeah, I really, I did not expect it, especially when, like you say, the London Stadium kind of moving into something that wasn't built for you. It kind of doesn't always feel like a home away from home, especially when you consider how amazing the um, uh, Upton Park was. Mm. Yeah, I, I did not expect it to become a fortress. I yeah. admit that, and I'm slightly jealous that it seems to become more I, of a fortress than the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has. I did. I do think West Ham were helped slightly last season by playing behind closed doors because they went through a bit of a bad patch at the start of last season and West Ham had previously been the sort of place where the crowd would get on your back very quickly and then you wouldn't be able to sort of, you know, get over that bad form. So I think they were one of the few clubs that actually were helped by not having fans last season or from a lot of last season. But now they've sort of gained that momentum and, you know, Moyes has really sort of got his teeth into that team. I think, yeah, it looked, the atmosphere looked excellent, especially for a Saturday lunchtime game on a Saturday. So yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a fortress. Yeah, I think Moyes' teams have always thrived on sort of being a bit of an underdog, haven't they? When the owners are on them to win that's when they sort of perform best uh, when, when they are expected to win games maybe that's when they, they struggle a little bit one of my favourite uh, images from this game was Thomas Tuckle angrily swatting away a bubble in front of his face after one of West Ham's goals <laughs> Uh, the second goal was a lovely strike from Jarrod Bowen. How highly do you rate him, Alex? Do you think he's he's got potential to go on and be a top class Premier League player? Yeah, I, I think he's brilliant. He was he was excellent for Hull actually for basically five or six years in the Championship, well in League One as well for a bit for them. But um, I think he scored pretty much every other game for them in League One and the Championship, and he was yeah he was excellent. I thought he could make the step up to the Premier League, but on, I didn't ever think he'd sort of get to these heights, especially so quickly. I think he's only. T- 24 maybe 23 um, but yeah on Saturday he was getting into some really really good areas sort of between the lines caused Reese James and Aspel quite all sorts of problems which you know a lot of players haven't really done so far this season um, yeah and he's got to a point now where I mean I apologise to West Ham fans for this but you could definitely see him pl- playing in that Liverpool front three or someone mm. like that you know he wouldn't wouldn't look out of place at a proper Champions League level team so um, yeah that's sort of the highest compliment I can pay him really I think he's excellent and um, yeah, potential England call up maybe by the, yeah. by the end of next year. Yeah, someone tweeted on on Saturday that they could see him going to Liverpool and just clock yeah. turn him into a world class player. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I could see that as well. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't uh, you don't meet many lads called Jarrod in in Hull, particularly. I don't <laughs> think. Do you? I always think he sounds like he should be one of like Robin Hood's mates or something, cutting about the, uh, Sherwood Forest in uh, this country. Or something Jarrod like Bow and Arrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, that- <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, sorry, that, that took was, a second. That was bad even by my standards, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that Chelsea result meant Liverpool temporarily went top of the league with a 1-0 win at Wolves on Saturday. Divock Origi scored the winning goal off the bench in the 94th minute. Uh, what did you make, Matt, of Jurgen Klopp saying, uh, I hope he finds a manager that will play him more than me? It's a bit like um, when, when you dump someone, you say, it's not you, it's me, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm really sick and tired of this. <laughs> I just... There's something so bizarre about the way Liverpool and Liverpool fans treat Origi. It's kind of like every time he does something good, it's all fun and games and you think, oh, he's a legend and club legend and all these moments. And then if you were to sit down and be like, right, who are we selling this summer? Who's in the <laughs> yeah. starting eleven? You'd be like, oh, no, Origi's crap, not him. Like, what do you think if your manager says that? Like, your manager's basically saying, Klopp's basically saying, like, cheers for being... I don't know. Just like just there when we need you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, th- it's thanks like for, thanks for the goals, mate. Side. But you're still rubbish. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or in comparison like, to the other players, anyway. Yeah. If you think that goal is going to get you a start next week, you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just it's really it's absolutely ridiculous. So I mean, Liverpool fans that I've heard as well, it seems to be that case that you know you're happy to celebrate his uh, his last minute goals and whatnot. But then as soon as it comes down to the serious football, they're like, no, no, but seriously, we need to sign something. <laughs> well, the average... Even on a free at the end. Yeah, he averages a Premier League goal every 163 minutes for Liverpool, which I believe puts him in the top 40 strikers in Premier League history. Wow. <laughs> Do you think, Alex, that maybe, well, you know, we've, they've got Salah and Mane going off to the AFCON in January. Is he someone that could step in and do a job for them? Or is he a, is he a super sub? Um... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's someone that they could rely on particularly for like goals consistently. But I think he's definitely someone who could do a job for them once. Yeah, the Afcon gets underway in January. I mean, it's going to be quite interesting to see how he does fare if he does get a run of starts in January. Because I don't. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't think that's something that he's really had since probably Brendan Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I read that he started thirty-four games in seven years, which is. I mean, that's a strange sort of existence for a Premier League striker. So, I don't know. So then maybe go on, you know, play five or six games in a row after Christmas. That's going to be a very different challenge for him. So, I don't know. Maybe he will step up. But, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a it was a good finish as well on Saturday. But I'm not sure I'd, um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd be relying on him for the sort of Salah level goals, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, in January. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, Diogo Jota, he'll be still around in January, but he missed an unbelievable chance to score earlier in this match when Wolves goalkeeper Jose Sarr took out his own defender, uh, leaving Jota with an open goal. Um, he smashed it against Conor Cody. Do you think he did the right, the wrong thing there, or was it just really good defending, Matt? I think he did the wrong thing. I yeah. think it was a complete... When you look at it back, it's probably easier to say in slow motion, like, oh, mate, why don't you just put it in the corner? Mm. But you know that regardless of such, if you were just shooting in goal in general, you're always taught, and I'm sure footballers know, you always aim for the corners, don't you? Yeah. So why is it the second a goalkeeper's out, you're like, well, the goalie's not in, I could just hit it down the middle. Like, (laughs) surely the same principles still apply as to whether there's a defender on the line, a goalkeeper in goal, whatever. Like, you just always aim for the corners. Um, So, yeah, I found that really, really weird that he just sort of didn't have the composure to place it either side of Cody and whoever else was on the line with him. Yeah, it was very unlike um, him, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Really Jot of the slot, are they calling, don't they? That's <laughs> yeah. Honestly, he could have just buried it 
either side of those defenders. I think he probably very... he was probably thinking I'll get it close enough, and if I hit it hard enough, they'll just get out of the way of it. Basically, yeah. But, but, uh, hey. yeah. yeah plus, they it, don't have hands. To stop yeah, it, so. that's Connor Cody you're talking about, mate. He gets yeah. out of the way of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he should have just pretended he was going to smash it and then like just slot it in the bottom mm, corner, yeah, really, or, yeah. or pass it on to, to Mane. I think was up with him, but uh, yeah, never mind. Listen to us dishing out Premier League advice. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if Wolves had held on in this game, it would have been their third nil-nil draw in a row. They've scored just one goal in five league games now. Uh, they're eighth in the table, but should they be a little concerned about that kind of form, Alex? It's not really uh, sort of co- it's not really coming together for them properly at the moment. No. Is it? Yeah, that would worry me slightly. Actually, I thought um, I thought Huang would kick on after his goals against Newcastle and Leeds in October. I think that was early to mid October. But yeah, that hasn't really happened. I mean, and then we all know about Raúl Jiménez and his return for, return from injury. You know, he's he's scored a few, but he's not been particularly consistent this season um, Pedro Neto I think is a big miss for them he's been out for quite a long time with an injury so I think once he gets back which I think is supposed to be after Christmas then know, I'd like to think that they'd sort of get back into a bit more fluency going mm. forward but they really need people like Adama Chore and Fabio um, when I was a bit of you know prepping for this I'd forgotten that Fabio Silva played for Wolves <laughs> oh yeah and so he that, yeah. Them, and he signed them for like 40, he signed for 40 million last summer so yeah I think he really needs to start uh, getting games for a start and then chipping in with goals because um, yeah they are struggling a bit going forward yeah I, t- I totally forgot about him as well Daniel Podence <laughs> is another one who's not really sort of yeah. like kicked yeah, off from true. having oh, some good yeah, form last yeah. season as well yeah yeah mm. yeah um, I, yeah I'm just not really sure what to make of Wolves they're just a bit of a uh, the, the, the very, there, very, very solid team, but there's not really anything yeah. to sort of grab onto as a as a threat uh, for any kind of like top eight. I don't know if that's, that's where they're going to finish or, or anything. But no. yeah, Manchester City finished the weekend top of the table after a three-one win at Watford on Saturday evening. Um, this game weirdly seems to have prompted a bit of a bit of chat online, um, to my knowledge, anyway, Matt, about whether City are entertaining to watch or not. Do you, do you like watching them or or does their football leave you a bit cold? I have this conversation with enough with one of my close friends here all the time, and he completely agrees. He, he seems to say they're just very robotic-like, and they're going <laughs> through the motions of something that they've clearly done a thousand times or more in training, um, and there's not much sort of ingenuity or off-the-cuff about it. Having said that, though, I still do like to watch them. I think it's because it's quite... Um, novel makes it sound like it's just a bit weird. But but it, it is unusual. Like there aren't many other teams who can do it to the level that they can, the consistency they do, and you know you're going to get a team who are attacking. And I think some of the some of the goals that they score are fantastic, especially the Bernardo second. Yeah, um, which I just thought was so so good. I I do find them entertaining to watch. I can see how maybe they lack uh, a flair player. You know what I mean? Someone who's mm. going to do something a bit mad. But, you know, as soon as someone does a bit crazy and out of the system, like we've seen with, what was it, Thierry Henry under Pep Guardiola, who scored. <laughs> You're but, out. Do you, yeah. you heard about this? Don't think so, no. He, he, Henry scored a goal for Barcelona years ago, but he did it by running sort of away from where he should have done. And Guardiola right. was like, great goal, but if you do that again, I'm taking you off. <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't stick to the way that they'd done it in training, despite the fact that he scored. So I think Guardiola's teams don't always allow for 
you know, sort of something that, I don't know, maybe Bruno Fernandes would do. A bit of individual ingenuity or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think you've seen it with Jack Grealish. I think his individualism that was so key to Aston Villa has kind of been taken out of him a bit. Mm. Um, I think it's kind of right. You've got these talents and we're going to use them. This is how you fit into the system. Don't get any crazy thoughts. And (laughs) it obviously works. I'm not knocking it. Um, But yeah, I can see why that conversation would be brought up. But I, I thought Silva was... It is at the minute astonishingly it's good. It's unreal. It's between him and Salah for the Player of the Year at the moment. But, I think for someone who was who was tipped to leave yeah. in the summer, who wanted and, to leave because he doesn't like the weather and the weather's shit again, and he's playing his best football. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Make he's got. It's like he's got. I'll show you, God. Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, well, Alex and I watched this game in the pub on Saturday. And Alex wanted to leave at about sixty-five minutes did, and go yeah. somewhere else. So I know you must you must be bored to tears watching City. Alex. Well, I'd, I mean, it's just games like the Watford game. Yeah, where it, it was over after five minutes, wasn't it? After the Sterling <laughs> goal, it's just yeah, I just it was pretty dull. I got to be honest, but there, yeah. yeah, I can appreciate how they are amazing. They're an amazing football team, but yeah, especially when it's. Teams, yeah, when they're playing against teams like Watford, it's just yeah, it doesn't it doesn't thrill me. That's for yeah, sure. no, I, I I get it totally. I mean, I, I remember watching City playing uh, Guardiola's Bayern Munich in the Champions League a few years ago, and they just did what they do to teams now, where they they just passed us to death, basically, you know, death by a thousand mm-hmm. cuts. I remember, I think we were two 0 down at half time. I remember saying to my dad, I wouldn't want to watch this kind of football every week. It's effective and it's good, but it's not very ent- <laughs> it's not very entertaining. And now he's our manager. I love it because it's like you know <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. you can go off and make a cup of tea while the game's on. There's no stress sometimes. Yeah. They'll just keep the ball for five minutes, and you can just do something else, look at your phone or whatever. Um, I, I do wonder whether. I do understand why that why like could heavily controlled football like that is not very good. That is the the way that City want to play. They'll have sixty five, seventy percent possession every game and and just kind of keep the ball. And that's that's how they defend well by keeping the ball more than anything. But it isn't all all always as, as thrilling to watch as, as say Liverpool, for example. I do get that, but and you, you wonder about for the players as well, don't you? Is they're going to come? I mean, to be fair. Guardiola's been there longer at City than he than he was at Barcelona and Bayern. But is there going to come a point where they are just sick of being in such a like rigid yeah. way of playing and listening to to him? You know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. It's going to be very hard to replicate when he leaves as well. Like, yeah, you're gonna, exactly. You're yeah. See a bunch of players used to play in a very specific way mm. who are who are probably going to struggle to adapt to whoever the next manager is. But for now, it's going quite well. Uh, Raheem Sterling continued his decent run of goal-scoring form with the opener here. Does he look like a man who's got his mojo back to you, Alex? Are we seeing more of the sort of England-level Raheem Sterling again? Yeah, he, he, yeah, he looks excellent, doesn't he? I thought, um, yeah, it seemed like the writing was on the wall a bit for him back in like October, November, I think. He didn't get in the squad for the Brighton game and then he only played like the last five minutes maybe against Palace and then was on the bench for United and didn't get on. Um, but I do think, like Matt was just saying earlier on there, I think we're slightly guilty of sort of over-dramatising things when City players aren't getting games or playing well. You know, they've got they've got so many good players, especially in attack, that obviously it just means they can't all be playing and they can't all be mm. playing well. So, you know, how many times in Pep's reign have we seen players do really good things and have a really good run of form but then you know maybe have a bit of a dip and then eventually come back to the fore again and do really well you know I'm thinking Bernardo Silva is an excellent example at the moment yeah. people like Gabriel Jesus Riyad Mahrez I think yeah you know with Sterling sometimes we just need to accept that it's a circular thing at City and you're not not everyone's going to play well all of the time yeah. and, you know people are having dips De Bruyne at the moment is having yeah, a dip exactly, yeah. that doesn't mean he's a bad player and that doesn't mean that he wants to leave 
to, to go wherever. You know, sometimes that's just how it is. But City are lucky that they've got enough players to sort of, you know, cut them a bit of slack when they're not playing well. So, yeah, it was. It's nice to see him scoring. I think, yeah, what obviously the defending fact for his goal was abysmal, especially with Danny Rose. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's nice to see him scoring. Yeah, he was. He did an interview this week where he was saying that meditation has helped him kind of uh, clear his oh, okay. mind and, and get his confidence back. I mean, uh, it's another old cliche about the, the all, when you're in a, a goal drought, all you need is a goal to go in off your backside. Well, you're yeah, sort of yeah, off yeah. and running. And he scored a tap in against uh, against Club Bruges in the Champions League a few weeks ago, and has sort of just improved week on week since then, and, and looks like he's sort of back to his mm. old level now. And it, yeah, does, it does does show you that once you just get a, get yourself on the score sheet, you can change everything, can't it? Uh, Watford have come through a really tough run of games. Uh, um, not got the results they might have hoped for, but then not got the results that probably many people expected either. Um, they're now playing Brentford, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Wolves, Norwich and Newcastle before the end of January. Can you see them picking up points against those sort of teams and maybe pulling away from the relegation zone a bit, Matt? Uh, yeah, that kind of that does look like a more favourable run, um, you think. But I guess you could say the same for a few of those teams as well. Um, Brentford will certainly be looking at the Watford game, for example, as a game they could potentially win. Same thing for maybe Palace and Wolves as well. Um, yeah, they'll either go one of two ways. Either Watford will really pick them up or or if they struggle, it will look like, well, if we can't beat them, where else are we going to pick up points yeah. from? So I think it's era-defining, uh, era-defining, wow, maybe year-defining, <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in, in both senses, that if they come out of that thinking we can't even beat the teams around us, what chance have we got against the top six? You could see them going down, but yeah, like you said, how many games is that? Seven games? Yeah. Um, six, seven games? Like, yeah, you pick up at 21 points, I don't know, 12, 13, you know, is, is, is not bad for Watford. Yeah, I, I, what I did think was quite good about them in this game was how they, they kind of didn't let their heads go down and did keep going and did get yeah, that late true. goal. You know, you can play against City and it's easy to, to drop your head and then before you know it, you've been battered 6-0 or something. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we were talking in the pub on Sunday. And that certainly uh, happened to them in the past. And I yeah. Well, our record against them in the, the previous three games was uh, 18-0 in three games. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, so they have, they have a horrible record against City and, and for them to keep going I and get they, that late goal, I think we'll give them a bit of confidence, yeah. They've got some good quality. I think Dennis is really good. Saar's mm. really good going forward. Hernandez is decent can... as well. The guy's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. They can cause some damage. I really thought it was quite sad for me to see Danny Rose was shocking. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. He, yeah. That's a big fall from Grace. <laughs> Mourinho was right. Is that what I was saying? <laughs> ah, I'm not going to do it that you know, I still yeah. hold a special place stops clock is right twice a day Ralph Rangnick made a winning start as Manchester United manager with a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace on Sunday that was United's first clean sheet at Old Trafford in 235 days do you think that's all down to them being more proactive with their pressing than they were under Solskjaer Alex? Um I watched this game on Sunday and I think United won the ball back in their own half after about three minutes and I honestly couldn't remember seeing that from Man United yeah. for years. It sort of, if you did, if, I don't know, if you were watching it in black and white and you couldn't see the colours, you wouldn't have known it was Man United because it didn't look like them. Right? Yeah. So I think for Ranyan to be able to instil that after like just one training session, I think he said he had and... Yeah, apparently he was complaining about the weather in Manchester yeah. in one one session. So, yeah, to be able to do that so quickly, I think, is really impressive. I mean, obviously, they couldn't really keep up that level of intensity for 90 minutes, but you could sort of see immediately that this is a team that's been coached to follow a specific plan, which just wasn't the case under Solskjaer. I know we sort of said it to death when he was, when he was manager, but they really had no plan. They were just sort of 
been told to there was eleven men on the pitch and there was sort of no discernible way that they were playing. But so DNA that was their quite, plan, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, well quite. So it was quite revelatory to sort of see this and yeah, really quite impressive. So I'm quite um yeah, keen to see what happens to me now in the end of the season for them, to be honest. Yeah, some of that the the pre- the high press in this game, it sort of almost feels like cliche to talk about it already, but it was just like it was incredible to see them how high they were pressing. It was, yeah, it really stuff. was. And, yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops um, after his, th- there's obviously been loads of talk about Cristiano Ronaldo this season he scored two goals against Arsenal last week and there was there were people saying he was never a problem for United I mean it, one of those goals was a penalty and the other one was sort of a bit of a tap in really I'd, I don't know whether that really sort of undoes all, all this like issues that Ronaldo has, seems to have created at United where, where do you stand on that one uh, Matt do you think he can play in Rangnick's system Uh I think Randitz would be foolish not to try and get something out of him. If he was to come in and say, yeah, Ronaldo, you don't quite fit my high press, see ya. <laughs> You've got a five-time Ballon d'Or winner who's still in peak physical condition sitting on the bench. He'd look pretty foolish. I think with Ronaldo, you're always going to be damned if you do, damned if you don't. If, if, if he doesn't score, there's a massive problem. And if he does, there was no problem. If Randitz doesn't play him and United do well, then he looks like a genius. And if they don't, they say, why is he leaving Ronaldo on the bench? <laughs> you know, it, it's one of these things where there's going to be constant talk and kind of scrutiny, like we're doing right now, you know, after yeah. j- just a game or two. And I think there are so many bigger problems for Manchester United than just pinning it on Ronaldo's perceived lack of running. Because Ronaldo said after the game, he was impressed with um, the Arsenal game, certainly. Impressed with Ronaldo's effort. And, um, and pressing of this, that and the other. I think it's one of these stories that I like to prowl a little bit more than is actually necessary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's there to score goals and he's done that this season. So, I mean, people say he can't, sure. he can't press. I'm sure he can press. I mean, he's physically, yeah. he's a physical specimen, isn't he? It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not an issue. It's probably just that he'd never been asked to do that before, really. And, exactly, um, yeah. I mean, if there's one player in the Premier League who is fit enough to press, it's probably, you know, it's probably exactly, Ronaldo. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's just Coming whether you can sort of park, park the ego. <laughs> yeah, it's just whether you yeah. can sort of park the ego and to sort of work as part of that system. Yeah. yeah. A worst case scenario, he, he, he does come off the bench a lot and becomes United's Divock Origi. So, <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate comedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely goal from Fred for the the winning goal. He played really well against Arsenal last week as well. Do you think he's maybe a, a better player than we we gave him credit for under under Solskjaer, Alex? Is he someone who could thrive in this new regime? Well, I've been this week. I've been reading the Brian Clough biography called "As Long as You Don't Kiss Me," and in that. He says a lot about the, the players that he signed had moral courage, right? <laughs> and players needing to have that on the pitch. And I think that's sort of what Fred has. You know, he takes an awful lot of flack a lot of the time, but he's always he always wants the ball. He always sort of takes it under pressure. He never shies away from a confrontation. I mean, sometimes he's not very good when he's on the ball, but he always sort of he always wants it. And I think he's just he seems to me from the outside one of those players that sort of works that will work well in a really regimented system rather than being given vague instructions which is clearly what happened under the previous manager so I don't know you've got to remember that Guardiola wanted to sign him for yeah. not so long ago so he's not like some dud they found in League 2 he's like mm. a proper player and I think yeah, he's well. He just looks from the outside like he's going to be one of those people that yeah really sort of needs very detailed instructions as to what to do and where to be. And then when he gets that, 
he can sort of yeah he can thrive in the field. So yeah, long may he continue playing yeah. well. Don't stand on your own goalkeeper's foot. That would be one of my instructions. That yeah, apart from that, yeah, he's been playing very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt Tottenham made it three Premier League wins on the bounce when they beat Norwich three uh, 0 on Sunday. Do you think that that defeat to to Mura in the Conference League and, and Conte's comments afterwards about the sort of job that he 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 had on his hands at Spurs were, were a bit of a wake up call almost? Ah, uh, you'd like to think so, but I mean, I would also be really angry at the players if they go out there and don't realise that they have to win. Like if they just think, oh, oh, we weren't supposed to lose tomorrow. Oh, thanks for the wake up call. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back on it now. Like, come on, guys, you should have known this. Yeah. Like, you don't need to do something as horrible as lose to, you know, Slovenian champions before realising you should actually be playing decent football. Um, I, There wasn't really much else Conte could say, let's be honest anything remotely positive would have made him look um, weak and a bit disillusioned. Um, but yeah, there was that was one of the most disgraceful Spurs performances I've seen. That was a shocker. So thank God they're back to winning ways. Yeah. Did that uh, Burnley game being postponed make, help them possibly? To kind of a bit more time on the training um, pitch? Or? Yeah, potentially. Maybe it was a nice little bit of rest, a couple of extra days. Um, and yeah, I guess so at this point as well, with Conte's still moulding the players into his system and they're still learning every day, then a, a bit more time in the uh, in the classroom, so to speak, probably mm. probably didn't do them any damage. There's uh, some news today that there's a bit of a COVID outbreak at Spurs, isn't there? They mm. might have to cancel the Brighton game on Sunday. I was honestly, that's karma, because uh, I, was, I was looking at the Lewis Dunk injury and Shane Duffy's out and I was thinking, oh, Brighton are down a few players. I should <laughs> win this weekend. And now I'm sitting here being like, no, we shouldn't play. They just, they can't play. So now I've got like, I'm sorry, Tottenham, it was me. Instant karma. Yeah, there you go. That's what you got. Instant karma, yeah. I hope it's not so serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. Uh, going back to the, the Norwich game, I, I was impressed with two players there. The first one is, is Ben Davis. Do you think we're, we're seeing the best version of Ben Davis you've seen at Spurs under Conte? For anyone who knows me, knows that I dislike strongly, I think is the word, <laughs> Ben Davis. Um, you don't have a good word to say I, about anyone. That's us. Oh, honestly, <laughs> I think he's. But the, the the problem is, I think he doesn't quite excel in either area, and I think the reason that he's doing so well now in a back three or a back five is that he can kind of get away with. If he doesn't contribute too much attacking wise, you know that's more down to Region. And if he doesn't contribute too much defensively, he's got other two defenders next to him. So I think this kind of simplified job role of his is probably suiting him better. And yeah, I have to give credit where credit's due. He is playing better. But if I was to pick an ideal Spurs squad, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he'd be in the first team. Well, who would you have ahead of him? Re- Reguilon, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. And, and I would ideally, you know, three. Look, I, I know Davis plays there for Wales and he is capable of playing left centre-back. But I think if you're going to have ambitions of getting into the top four spots and winning trophies like hopefully Spurs are... You're going to have to have three proper centre backs. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you've slagged Ben Davies off. Maybe you'll have nice things to say about Oliver Skip. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was really good as well. Did, did you expect him to play such a big role this season? Should he be considered one of the first names of the team sheet? Or is he shite as well? <laughs> Capital S shite. No. He is brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I could not have more superlatives to say about Oliver Skip. <laughs> Um, I, I think he had to be given a role in the team this season. He went out on loan to Norwich last season. Um, I think he played all but 20 minutes. 
mm. in the campaign. I might be lying. You might have played all but one game and 20 minutes. Um, anyway, was was the absolute heartbeat of a midfield that saw promotion to the Premier League. And when you're sent out on loan, it's usually, you know, go out, get some minutes under your belt and impress us. Show us why you should be in the first team. And there couldn't have been a better audition than that. And I think it really says something about him that, you know, when when you're a youngster in the club and, you know, there's good rumours about you and someone's heard something good and you may be put into the first team, a new manager in Nuno has come in straight away, seen that, right? And he's come into the first team. And then Conte's come in. Conte's worked with an unbelievably high level of player, so for him to identify see straight away, oh, this isn't just another youngster that was talked up before me. He's good enough for my midfield. And for him to be playing every week just shows you how good he is at the moment. Um, and I think Spurs fans have been let down in the past by um, our academy central midfielders. You're looking at Tom Carroll, who mm. came through, Nabil Bentaleb, Ryan Mason was okay. Harry Winks has faltered a bit. So there's there's reason to be a bit pessimistic, but at the moment I think Skip can do no wrong. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, very good player, very good, just no nonsense sort of midfielder, isn't he? Yeah, I like him. Yeah, exactly, and he gets around a lot as well, and he carries the ball pretty well too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what playing for Daniel Farker does to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can understand Norwich losing at Spurs last week. Um, I think they, they made some pretty decent chances in that game, actually, and perhaps, perhaps should have scored. Same against mm. Newcastle, really. They only drew that game, and Newcastle had 10-man for, for 75 minutes. It's kind of difficult to have much hope for them when they're, they're not sort of scoring the goals, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, I think I think I was on the pod after they beat Brentford and Dean Smith's first game, and um, I think even then we, we were all saying they probably weren't good enough to stay up, and... Yeah, nothing about their performances in the game since has really made me change my mind. Um, yeah, I, like you said there, I actually thought Spurs gave Norwich a bit too much respect on Sunday and probably they gave them a lot of the ball and I think they had two decent chances. There was that Pookie one in the first half and then another one right after half-time and decent sized scores both of those so, mm. and then this game is totally different. So, yeah, I just think Norwich don't really have that clinical edge that they really need to stay in the Premier League, unfortunately. They've, and they've spent quite a lot of money in the summer and none of those players have really worked. Um, yeah, Puki, although he was good the last time they were in the Premier League, is sort of uh, he's gone off gone off a cliff really this, this season. So, yeah, although I like Dean Smith and think he's a good manager and Norwich seem like they're a club that do things the right way. I, yeah, I just I don't, don't think they're going to be good enough to stay in, the, stay in the division come the end of the season. Yeah, not looking good for them. Uh, it's looking a bit better for Everton now. Their, their run of eight matches without a win came to an end when they came from behind to beat Arsenal on Monday night. Uh, some controversial refereeing in this one with our main man Mike Dean in the middle. <laughs> Uh, firstly, Matt, were you surprised that uh, Ben Godfrey wasn't sent off? Uh, I'm going to pull it kindly, stepping on Tommy Arsu's face. Yeah, I mean, any time someone's stepping on someone else's face, you've got to question <laughs> how they're remaining on the pitch. I was I was baffled by that. I think Arsenal do have a right to feel a bit a bit ticked off about it, especially yeah, especially I kind of I feel like that would have made a big big difference. The way that Everton have been performing recently to get a man sent off in front of their own fans to be down and that, you know, the fans are going to turn quickly like they have done in the last few weeks. That could have been massive. That could have really, really been big. So I think Arsenal do have a right to feel aggrieved. Having said that, they did concede more than the uh, the scoreline showed at the end of the game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, you kind of got to give props to Everton and say Arsenal. Arsenal can't just sit there for the rest of the game and go, yeah, but, but they should have had 10 men, but, but, but. Like, you've got to get on with the rest of it, and they didn't. So, 
Yeah, there, there was another. There was another pretty bad challenge from uh, I think it was Anthony Gordon in the second half that went unpunished as well. It was a bit strange, but I mean, I've said on the podcast before that I'm a bit uncomfortable with people getting sent off for kind of accidental things. But I do think mm. I do draw the line when uh, someone's studs are making contact with someone's cheekbone. I think yeah, <laughs> when, when that's the case, you do have to sort of think about that. And and to have the replay and, and still not do anything was a bit strange, really. Um, you touched right there that Matt those offside decisions. What did you make of those ones, Alex? I think the first one there was no no issue with that against Richarlison the second one I, w- I was a little bit baffled yeah, by that one I mean, I, was, yeah. I mean firstly it was quite weird to see the lines come out again yeah. I don't think I remember the last time I saw them this season that was uh, sort of yeah reminded me of the bad old days of last season um, yeah the first one yeah it was tight but yeah it did look offside and then the second one I sort of couldn't really see how that was offside the line well certainly on the sort of broadcast that I saw on Sky the line looked in the wrong place it yeah. looked like past his toes so yeah I'd, I would feel slightly aggrieved if I was an Everton fan there but yeah they, they got the win in the end which was good for them because I thought they were they were the best side yeah from, from what I've heard about that one I think it was a bit of a perception thing and if, if you've right, sort of looked, okay. at, looked at it square on he would have been offside from right. that from that angle he yeah, looked okay. he looked kind of onside but uh yeah. it's it's right. kind of it's kind of it feels like we've not had to talk about VAR that much this season and it's not been no. much of an issue. And what I will say about those two offside decisions, they were dealt with really quickly. They were dealt with inside about a minute. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, yeah. No, that's right. but yeah, like I said, you know, you remember last season how many times we were talking about offside armpits and, you know, toes yeah. being over and all that sort of stuff. To, to go from go from that to where we are this season, it's been, it has been quite impressive, actually. So credit where it's due. This, yeah, like I said, this is the first time I can remember there being these sorts of instances this season. So, yeah. Yeah, no, but yeah, like I said, I thought Everton deserved the win, and um, yeah, it was nice that that roar at the end from the crowd was probably <laughs> one of my moments of the season, actually. And the Martin Tyler went true. It was good, uh, was good fun on Sky. So yeah, it was um, it was good to see them. Yeah, good yeah, to see well, them. there's a bit, bit of a good pro- to see crowd. Have a bit something to cheer about. Protest against the board, yeah, but it all sort of evaporated yeah. into the Merseyside night yeah. with that that winning goal from Demare Gray. Uh, fucking great goal that was. Um, it was. Yeah. Do, do you think, uh, in terms of the boardroom stuff, Matt, that the departure of Marcel? Brands as director of football over the weekend was a good thing or, or sort of a bad thing. A, lo- a lot of people saying they, they don't think he did done a good job. They don't really know what he'd done really. So maybe it's, it's kind of get rid of him and, and move on without him. As a, as a yeah, I feel like it's also a little bit of a scapegoat. It's like the board and the players and the manager can all turn around and say, "Yeah, he's gone. He was the bad egg. It was him. It was all his fault," and kind of deflect everything bad that happened to him. I, I think he should take some share of the blame for sure. Um, yeah, I think it might be a little bit harsh, though. It's not like all of a sudden the fog is lifted, right? Benitez is suddenly prime Benitez and Everton <laughs> are going to take the league by storm. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. can't just pin everything on him and be like, you're fine, now everything's fine. So I will. I would, football fans are fickle, and I expect the next poor run of form, especially at Goodison Park, there will be more uh, more protests to be had. Yeah. I, I do think with directors of football, it's like, a lot, you know, almost all of those players that Everton signed under him were considered good signings at the time. People were yeah, exactly. excited about them. You know, they spent a fair amount of money and, and people were looking forward to it. It looked like they were building something really special, especially under Carlo Ancelotti last season. And also, like, Demare Gray scores that winning goal last night. They, they spent, what, 1.5 million on him? Was that Marcel Brands yeah. who did that? Is he not getting any credit yeah. for that then now? Yeah, we, we just sack yeah, him and that's yeah, it. He's yeah. out now. It's just, I, I don't really... 
I think it's one of those those sort of roles that we, we've not really got to grips with as, as fans as to what those people are actually responsible for and what they're not responsible for. Like you could buy a player and it doesn't work out, and it doesn't always have to be considered your fault. It's a, it's a strange one, really. Yeah, it's, it's just hard to quantify. I think. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like the results. Yeah, and it is an easy uh, an easy sacrifice, as you said, as well, to just sack this yeah. guy and go, oh, well, everything's better now. Yeah, but. We'll see who they bring in next, I guess. Um, Arsenal's biggest problem this season seems to be an inability to control games. Um, is that something that you think will come with experience, Alex, or, or do you blame Mikel Arteta's tactics for that? Is he? Is he? I'm very. I'm so confused about Arsenal this season because about I mean, two weeks ago, I thought they turned a corner and they were excellent and you know potentially top four, but. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really, I really can't get to grips with uh, Odegaard's looked good. I'd, there's sort of Tommy Ashu has been an excellent sign. I thought Tierney did well last night, especially that cross for the goal. Um, the the goalkeepers looked really good. But then, yeah, I mean, it's just silly things last night. Sloppy passes, giving the ball away, letting Damari Gray sort of come in off his wing last night. The miss at the end by Aubameyang was poor. Yeah, the Inketia uh, one was um, bad as well. He should be scoring. Yeah, the Inketia yeah. with a header. Yeah, 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 yeah just yeah. a lot of silly things where. I don't know, you can sort of look at Arteta and the way that he's set up his side, but they're, they're individual errors that players shouldn't be making at, certainly at the highest level. So, I don't know, I still, I like Arteta and I think he says a lot of the right things and he's doing the right things and, you know, you, you do have to give him a bit of time, but then how long is too much time? Do you know, you know what I mean? It's, if he's not going to, He's not going to turn the corner and then you know and get there. Then when is when is it time to sort of look at what he's doing? Yeah. I'm not sure they're at that point yet, but yeah, then I must. I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I'm glad I'm not because it must be very frustrating to to watch them at the moment. Yeah, th- there's been a lot of talk about Thomas Party at the moment as well, hasn't it? He, uh, yeah, he didn't look great last night. We yeah. saying last week that he rates himself four out of ten for his time at Arsenal. It's never never a good thing when the player himself is saying that, is it really? But. Full marks for honesty. Sure, yeah. I'm not sure I'd give him... 10 out of 10 for honesty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Steven Gerrard revolution continued at Aston Villa with a 2-1 win on uh, over Leicester on Sunday. Uh, first question on this game is, what the hell were you thinking with that kit clash, Matt? I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. I was sitting there watching it thinking, who, who decided on this? Like, surely even the blue would have been absolutely fine from Leicester. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, it seems yeah. to be a bit of a weird yeah. weekend where everybody uh, wore their change kit. Like City wore white yeah. at Watford for no apparent reason, and, and there was less, the pink socks. And the yeah, just, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I wonder if it's eyes. if it was the same for the players or if you know, from their perspective it looked it looked better. I don't know. Maybe they do it with the players in mind more often than not. But it wasn't a, a very enjoyable game to watch for that reason. Really, no, no, um, really wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Second question is: What the hell was that disallowed goal about, Alex? Uh, did did Kasper Schmeichel have control of the ball? In your opinion. Absolutely not. I, I, yeah, I was watching this on Sunday with the sound down, and then when they went to VAR, I just assumed there'd been a mistake with the yeah. broadcast because I couldn't believe that they would not <laughs> give that. Yeah, it, I mean, it should have been a goal. There was no way that he was in control of the ball. I think it was. Um, it was possibly Leonardo Benucci last season said football is not played in slow motion. Yeah, and I think that was one of those where you slowed it down and it just totally took out the context of what was happening in the game. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a goal, and I think another example of goalkeepers being a bit overprotected for me. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, yeah, I'm sort of glad Villa got the winner in the end because yeah, that was that was very harsh. Well, it was one of those um, examples of uh, that, that we get occasionally where 
you'll get loads of people citing the, the law and say, well, actually, he had his hand mm. on the ball and therefore, according to the law, he did have control of the ball. And it's like, well, change the law then because that's nonsense, yeah, isn't it? Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I suppose it wasn't, you know, a million miles away from that goal Arsenal scored against Man United last week, Matt, when De Gea went down injured and, and that goal was allowed to stand, obviously, but there was a little bit of debate about that. I saw various sort of former referees being asked to give their opinion and, and there was no general consensus on it, really. Some people said it should have been a goal, some people said it shouldn't. Uh, what, what, was, what was your opinion on that one? I think it was absolutely fine. Yeah. I just can't think, I can't honestly, hand on heart, expect 11 Arsenal players, when the ball's come out to the edge of the box, it's been knocked down to go, stop, stop, the goal, the goalkeeper's yeah. down. Like, to, to, to be constantly reacting like that, especially when you look at it back and it was his own player. I think it was Fred. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was Fred who sort of stood in him, whatever. He, he, can you imagine every single corner that comes in now, the goalkeeper just goes to the floor and everyone goes, stop, <laughs> yeah. stop, the keeper's down, the keeper's down. Like, we can't be having this all the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you, you, someone stood in his foot. It was a bit of a nightmare. Um, yeah, I, I full, full credit to Arsenal for playing to the whistle and then deal with it afterwards. Yeah. I, I think it should, I think it was correctly given. One of, one of the refs, I think it was Mark Halsey, former Premier League referee, was saying that, well, goalkeepers are specialist position, so if they get injured, you have to stop the game because it sort of has more of an effect on the game than other players. But, but it's was like, he injured though? Well, I mean, he was he was straight up when the goal was given, wasn't he? Running over to the referee, yeah, so maybe, so possibly not. Exactly. And, it, and it does open a can of worms in that. Oh, so a goalkeeper could just go down injured whenever they're sort of a one on one situation or something like yeah. that, and, and we have to stop the game. It doesn't seem. Can you right imagine to me. if some if like a striker ran through one on one with the keeper and the hair just sat down and went, "No, toe, yeah. no, hurt my toe, stop shooting." <laughs> like <laughs> that's just that's what we'll get to. Yeah, but it was like one of those. Do you remember that uh, column in the Guardian they used to have the "You Are the Ref" where they'd have all mm. these weird situations? Yeah. It was like one of those, yeah, uh, in real time. Uh, Leicester have now conceded ten goals from set pieces this season, the joint highest in the Premier League with Crystal Palace. How do they fix that, Alex? Is it as simple as maybe switching from zonal to man marking, or is that a load of bollocks? Um, well, without going full proper football man, I do think that would help to begin with. To be honest, because and you just. I look back at the first goal on Sunday and like, there were just so many issues. It was unbelievable. I think it was Tyrone Mings who had a free, free run and, and like the first phase of the corner. Got, got played to the back post where Matty Cash was totally alone. So he was able to head it back into play. And then it got, went back to the penalty spot and there were three players totally unmarked. So who could just pick their spot with a header mm. if they wanted to. So, I mean, they're obviously just not working. Well, if they are working on defending set pieces in training, they're not doing it enough because it's a, it's a, well, clearly an, a, a, a sort of weakness in their game. Like you say, 10 goals. That's sort of unbelievable, really, especially for a team that have mm. or did have top four aspirations. So maybe they're sort of falling victim a bit to the sort of Thursday, Sunday, Europa League, Premier League scheduling. They haven't got enough time for, for training all the aspects of their play. But um, yeah, it's a huge issue and it's one that's going to cost them big time, I think, this season. Well, I've already has but it's going to definitely cost them sort of European yeah. place this season I think How much of that is down to training though Matt and how much of it is just Brendan Rodgers saying come on mate you've got to win the header I, I, I think so uh, you've got to have players who want to win the header I yeah. mean, we, yeah. we've all seen it we've all played football you know when you're you're in a corner there's always that one guy that goes oh I'll do the post I'm <laughs> like okay well you definitely don't want to head it <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean you always got the ones who hide and I, I think there needs to be more responsibility. But also what Alex said there about three players being free, you need to have better concentration than that. That comes down to a player. Yeah, You're a player, you're a professional footballer out on the pitch, you are expected minimum to be able to concentrate for 90 minutes. 
you can't just switch off all the time like they're constantly doing. That's really, really poor from them. I mean, yeah, you don't need to be told before every quarter. Right, concentrate, <laughs> concentrate. Like, you know, you should be doing that from – there should be some self-responsibility for that. Yeah. Yeah, there was an interesting interview with Graham Potter over the weekend, actually, where he was saying that, like – once the players are on the pitch, there is only actually so much you can do as a manager, really. A lot of the yeah. stuff that they do on the touchline is just for show, really. And a lot of the time, the players have to take some responsibility. And I think that's a bit of the case if it, with Leicester. I mean, I think like uh, Chag Lars-Yunchu is, is low-key having quite a bad season for them. He was quite highly mm. rated at one yeah. point. He's, he's, yeah. he's at fault for at least one of those goals. So, yeah. I don't. I, for once, I'm not going to blame it all on Brendan Rodgers, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Villa are away at Liverpool on Saturday meaning it's a return to Anfield for Stevie G do you think they've, uh, they've got a chance of getting something considering the form they're in Alex um, I think it, if it was any other side they were playing I'd probably say yes but I think right now along with City Liverpool probably the best in Europe so yeah to go there and get a result is probably probably impossible but I, I do think they'll give them a game and it won't be you know it won't be a walkover for Liverpool but yeah, Liverpool win that for me. Although yeah. I do, yeah, I, I think Villa are playing really well at the moment. I, I mean, I've said this to you before, Dan. Gerard just looks like a manager. To me. <laughs> yeah. I think he, the players, the players believe in him, and he's obviously got them. Yeah, he's sort of really raised their level already. So, yeah, I think they'll, they'll give Liverpool a good game. It's going to be, be really interesting to see the reception that um, the fans give him when he comes back. But um, <laughs> yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool win that for me. Well, he, he was asked after this game about uh, going to Liverpool and how he feels about it. He was like, "I'm just focused on getting the win." You know, proper football manager Steven <laughs> Gerrard answer that, isn't it? Like, yeah, I'm just just want to get the win it's like yeah come on mate we know that's not the case but yeah good luck to you uh, Newcastle are off the bottom of the table after their first win of the season when they beat Burnley 1-0 on Saturday uh, that was their first league win for 195 days they've got Leicester Liverpool Man City and Man United in their next four games does that run look a lot less daunting for them now they've got a win under the belt Matt no that is absolutely <laughs> tragic. Is that Leicester, Liverpool, City, United? Yeah, I mean, oh, Leic- Leicester, they might have a chance the way the way Leicester are playing. But well, yeah. yeah, potentially. But I mean, I've watched Newcastle a few times this season. They're so poor. And I think mm. they got their win over one of the teams who are poorer than them, which are few and far between. Um, mm. Yeah, I really don't hold any hope for them <laughs> in the next four games. Well, they're only actually seven points off 12th place now. They've got the January transfer window coming up, but we, we talked about that. That's directors. unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. The, the race for 12th. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we talked about directors of football earlier, Alex. Uh, Newcastle still don't have one in place. They, had, they were turned down by Michael Emanalo uh, over the weekend, which would have been a, a very mm. good appointment for them, I think. Is that a bit of a worry for them that they're going into this transfer window with a, not a clear plan on what they're going to do? Yeah, I think that's another example of just sort of how difficult it's going to be for... PIF and Saudi Arabians to mm. sort of buy success, especially in the first few years. I read some quotes from him at Eminale saying that he wasn't convinced by the project. So, I mean, I'm just speculating, but from the outside, that says to me that either they're promising things that aren't going to happen or they're setting goals that are way too high for the first five years. So, yeah, I think they're going to find it very difficult. I think they can have as much money in the world, but what 
that, or they're going to have to buy very sensibly in January. They can't be going for Coutinho and Adrian Rabio and all that these sorts of players because that's just not going to happen. They need to they need to be sensible in January. And um, yeah, this is a good start. I didn't think Burnley particularly good, but yeah, they're gonna they are going to find it really tough between now and the end yeah. of the season. Because right now, for me, Newcastle are one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, and if, if and if they keep and if that stays the same, then they're going to go down, aren't they? So yeah, January is going to be very very interesting. But yeah, the Yamanalo yeah, stuff that sort of. I mean, it's, that would have been a great appointment and then it's good that they're going for those sorts of people. But the fact that he turned them down, considering he hasn't been in football for the past five years or however, however long, um, yeah, that would be a slight worry for me. Actually. Yeah. Well, they've sort the Sports Direct branding down off the stadium now anyway. Yeah. So that's a, yeah. that's a step in the right direction, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Burnley's XG in this game was 0.7. They're down in the bottom three now. Maxwell Corne limped off injured. He'll be away in January for the African Cup of Nations as well. Is it time to be a bit worried about them, Matt? I always think about, is this going to be the year that Burnley are going to struggle? They always survive. I'm wondering if this is actually going to be the year, though. Oh, this could be the year. Well, I mean... They're not going to do anything else, and they're never pushing into the top half. Off that one freak mm-hmm. season, they managed to get into into the Europa League. So I guess the only thing to do just to shake things up is to go and get relegated. I mean, I'm <laughs> sure they're not trying to do it. Um, but yeah, as you say, corner leaving for for such a long amount of time in the Cup of Nations is a big, big miss to them. I think he's been so good. He's built so much energy when he's been on the pitch. Um, and yeah, I, I. I I think the problem, the only way that Burnley will stay up, and this this could happen, is that there are three worse teams than them. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think we're talking about Burnley being brilliant, right, and staving off relegation, this, that, and the other. I just think there will be three teams that are worse than them. Um, so they might just just stay up, just have enough. Yeah, they have got a game in hand over Watford above them. To be fair, which yeah. is that, that Spurs game. So uh, yeah, they might they might Easy win. Uh, <laughs> exactly yeah, piece of piss that one. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Patrick Bamford returned from injury and scored a 95th minute equaliser to rescue a point for Leeds against Brentford on Sunday how massive do you think his return could be for Leeds Alex? Yeah I think that's going to be a huge one for them he was he was obviously such a big part of why they did so well last season and then yeah I think he said himself after the game that he was rusty as hell was his quote so yeah, um, yeah it's going to take him a while to like fully get such back such a posh boy comment to say that well yeah yeah <laughs> oh, rusty as hell <laughs> but yeah the goal was going to help his confidence isn't it going into Christmas and then yeah the celebration was probably one of my moments of the weekend as yeah. well I thought it was uh, yeah good to see Ellen Road sort of going, going mad for the 90th minute goal so no he's, he's a huge one for them but yeah I'm sure we'll talk about and Phillips going off that that's a that's a Six or one. Oh, uh, pitch yourself with that. But yeah, they um, yeah, it's a good time for Bamford back. I must say. Yeah, well, Cal- Calvin Phillips and Liam Cooper both went off in this game. I don't know if there's been any news on Phillips yet, actually. But if he were to get injured long term, do you think Leeds would be in, in a spot of bother, Matt? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think reading between the lines of some of the recent press conferences, it looks as though Bielsa's not even sure if he'll be there at the end of the season yeah. either, or beyond the end of the season. And I think for everything that Leeds have built up, and especially how well they did last season, it would be an absolute disaster to go down. Really, because I think they're some of the players, the better ones, have made a name for themselves. And I think they're not really going to be able to hound them. You're looking at Phillips, you're looking at the likes of Rafinha as well, maybe even Patrick Bamford too, who's proven that he can do it at Premier League level. So this, all of that put together, Phillips to be injured... To not have the run of form, maybe lose the manager, you know, this could be massive trouble. And I think Phillips is so key to everything they've done in the last few years. And he also, he represents the club really well as well. Yeah. 
being you know being a Yorkshire lad, and the I Yorkshire Perlo, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Yorkshire Perlo, his his sort of the identity of Leeds on the pitch is carried a lot with him. So I think him missing is more than just missing an astonishing player, but also you know missing a leader as well. Yeah. Uh, we'll finish at St Mary's where a 98th minute winner from Neil Malpay earned Brighton a draw at Southampton Southampton have dropped 71 points for winning positions under Ralph Hasenhutl more than any other Premier League team during that time um, that equalising goal was a bit of a clusterfuck here wasn't it Alex do you know what happened there <laughs> well for that that's quite a remarkable stat isn't it? yeah 71 points from winning positions I, I mean I, I don't really think when I do I sort of think that who it was the job but that's quite amazing, really, isn't it? I've, yeah. I've never heard that before. But yeah, that's quite astonishing. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, that equal, that equaliser was a bit mad. I'm not really sure what Ward Prowse is doing there, going going back on the line like that. But I suppose if there is one player in the in the Southampton team, you can sort of forgive a rush of blood to the head. It's probably him because he's. Well, I, th- he's I think Alex McCarthy well was injured, season. wasn't he? And he'd not told. the Yeah, bench. yeah. So no, it was it was so a bit w- of an odd one. But. Ward Prowse went back to sort of be a be an extra man on the line and uh, played them all on side for Malpey yeah, to score. Uh, yeah, so. it was a good finish to be fair from Malpey but um, yeah, that's uh, and I and I must say I'd like um, that Broja, the, the striker that they yeah. got from Chelsea's youth yeah. team. He looks really good. He looks, because um, they looked a bit short up front at the start of the season with um, Shea Adams and Armstrong. So yeah, he's been a good addition. So yeah, I'd, I mean, I don't think Southampton will go down or anything like that. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, like you say, more drop points was a bit of a worry. Yeah. Uh, quick word on Brighton, Matt, too late equalising in a week for them. Is, is that a sign of good character from them or do you think Potter will be a little bit frustrated that they're, they're not kind of asserting themselves on games earlier? Uh, yeah, I think he will be a little bit annoyed because, you know, Brighton have the quality to do that and I think we've seen them do that. And especially, again, no, no disrespect, but to the likes of Southampton as well, um, he'd probably be hoping for a little bit more than to have to bail themselves out with a dodgy equaliser in the last minute. And as much as you'll take the point when you're 1-0 down heading into injury time, certainly I don't think Potter will be too pleased by anything, anything but salvaging a point and a bit of character. Yep. Well, that will do us, I think. Uh, Thank you to Matt and Alex for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back again next week to chat about more Premier League, so we'll see you then.